We hear a lot of perspectives on the Mankind Podcast. Inclusion of a guest is not an endorsement of their views, and the opinions expressed here do not always represent the mission or values of the Mankind Project USA. Looks like the rain has gone. G'day, Brandon Clift here your host today at the Mankind Podcast. And today I am joined by Dr. Jolly Hamilton and her husband, Ken, to talk about their non-monogamous marriage, to talk about polyamory, to talk about polygamy, to talk about swinging, to talk about all the above, all the nuance in between. We're also going to talk about relationships. You're really identifying that many of the misconceptions around polygamy, polyamory, Many titles, many words. We get into that too. Uh, But many of the misconceptions around it is that uh, it is because there is something missing in uh, something missing in traditional, normal two people dyadic pairs in a relationship when in fact there is so much more to it. There's so much to the individual experience that there's no real cookie cutter explanation as to how. Uh, how to have a non-monogamous healthy marriage or relationship, how to have multiple emotional, spiritual, sexual partners. Uh, it's something that I uh, lent into with much discomfort but came out the other side feeling very wholesome and full, uh, having had the conversation with Ken and Jolie. You'll also be able to hear their stories of how they've gotten to where they are in their relationship after 13 years of being married how it's impacted their parenting, uh, how it's impacted Jolie's work with, uh, you know, those that have heard her before on the show, we've had her come on to talk about sexual shame. We've had her come to talk on about jealousy and envy, which she has her PhD in. So this is a fun one. Jolie is easily one of my favorite human beings to ever interview. Uh, We've heard it from you as well that you all love her. So you're just going to have a fun time listening to this. You're going to learn a little bit about intimacy. You're going to learn a little bit about yourself in relating to others and in your own intimate relationships. Uh, I will dare say you will be richer for having listened to this interview uh, with two phenomenal human beings, Dr. Jolie Hamilton and her husband, Ken Hamilton. Enjoy. G'day and welcome to another episode of the Mankind Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Clift, and today I am joined by Dr. Jolie Hamilton and Ken Hamilton. They are joining us today to talk all things polyamory, relationship, parenthood. Who knows where this conversation is going to go? I am excited to have this conversation. I feel totally out of my depths in this conversation. Uh, I, I just have been eager for this the whole time. We actually had this on the calendar uh, and fortunately, I prefaced when I booked it with them, if for whatever reason I no-show for this interview, it's probably because my wife is in labor or we just had a baby. And what do you know? That happened. So here we are on the other side of that. And I am so grateful to have you both with us. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks so much for having us, yeah. for having me back and, and having me with Ken because here that changes the whole conversation. <laughs> Yeah, we go. It does change. A different dynamic. Uh, I got to ask you first, did I mess up the intro at all? I kind of prefaced at the beginning of the intro. I was like, Not no, that I, I noticed. you hit it. I think you hit it. You're warm. You're, you You're were good. ready. Yeah. There you go. Cool. Baby brain is real. I tell you. It is. Sure and is. it's for all parents. Baby yeah, brain has nothing to do parents. with gender. And actually the data yeah. is showing us that now too. Like for real, for real. Heck yeah. Like, am I yeah. off the hook or on the hook on that one? I don't know. But yeah. Both. You're just, you're just part of the story. <laughs> part of the story. 
Well, here we are. Well, first things first, let's do a quick little check-in. Uh, Jolly, would you like to start? Yeah, okay. I'm checking in with a little, a little uh, vibration as if I had caffeine but did not. And a lot of excitement about what it's possible to talk about um, around these topics. So, And I'm here. Welcome. Heard. Thank you. Ken. Okay. I'm checking in with, um, well, after the conversation we had before we started recording, I'm checking in with some some pretty relaxed feelings right now and looking forward to, to our conversation. Mm. Heard. Thank you. Uh, Brandon, checking in. <clears throat> Energy rising, for sure. Uh, baby letter, baby gave us a break last night, so I'm kind of sitting with that. My eyes feel inside my head. Um, and uh, great men's group last night. I had my dad in town, so to have to sit in circle with my dad and introduce the men in my circle to him was really great. Um, so just checking in with a lot of joy around that, and I am in. All righty. So I, I immediately when I was thinking and preparing for this conversation, I think of one of my favorite scenes in comedy, which is Paul Rudd in Wonderlust and his monologue when he is in the mirror <laughs> and he's preparing himself to have his first uh, sexual encounter outside of his committed marriage because he's on this like commune farm where it's all free love and he's sitting there psyching himself up and he's like, you got this, you got this. Uh, monogamy is sexual slavery. <laughs> That's a way to put it. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> so I'm looking from the outside in as a layman, someone who knows very little about this. I've sat in many circles with those who whom practice you know, open relating and, and polyamory. And, um, and so I, I'm not at the stage where I'm thinking, is it just swinging? Like I'm kind of past that point, but... Please, let's start with the 30,000-foot view, and then we'll, uh, we'll descend further yeah. into this conversation. Um, so please, either one of yeah. you, take All the right. Well, doctor. Well, <laughs> so, yeah, let me start off. You I'll start. kick us off by just saying, mm. when we're talking about open relating, I think that's a good term to use, right? So let's back way up and say, what if it's just a question of everything that's beyond monogamy. Like most of us have a, a basic understanding of what monogamy is for humans. Let's be clear for humans, right? Because uh, we're talking about human behavior here. And we're talking about a dyadic pair, two people doing something. Um, usually that something has to do with exclusivity in the range, in the realm of sexuality, sensuality, um, emotions also starts to be like, oh, we start to, co to connect exclusivity to emotional sharing and emotional depth for a lot of people. And then we list, there's all these other places like financial and the depth of friendship or best friend. Like there are all these areas that get put into the, if I'm monogamous, which of these areas are exclusive? It's a whole bunch of them. Usually it's a lot of stuff different for everyone to some degree, but a bunch of stuff. And when we think about open relating, I like to say you need to ask the person you're talking to what that means to them because open relating can mean everything from um, we have the idea of a so-called hall pass, right? Where we could theoretically have a sexual interaction with someone <laughs> um, if we happened to see them. These are usually like for like celebrities and such or all the way over to, oh, we live communally with, you know, more than two adults. We raise our children together. We have everything, you know, 
uh, we share finances, we share emotional depth, we share everything, right? And there's this enormous spectrum and there are so many labels we could use, consensual non-monogamy, ethical non-monogamy, swinging, polysexuality, just tons and tons of labels. And it's key that we ask the person we're talking to how their non-monogamy or their more than monogamy works for them because that's how we'll find out what we're actually talking about. It's so specific to individuals. Nuanced. Nuanced, extremely. Yeah. Even amongst people who use the same label. So I identify as polyamorous, but my way of living that mm. won't necessarily align with somebody else's use of that same word. Wow. Which I think is true of monogamy as well. You know, I exactly. there are a lot of different ways to be married and we don't necessarily look at monogamy as a nuanced institution necessarily, but boy, it is. I mean, we were each separately in monogamous marriages before this, yep. more or less, more not monogamous. Well, um, yours wasn't. Yours was a don't ask, don't tell version of monogamy, but you thought of it as monogamous. And, and everybody else also, did too. So, But yeah. also it wasn't uh, because the whole time there were other sexual partners yeah. and emotional partners. Yeah. So right. it can look a lot, a lot of things. Right. It's so your, <clears throat> so Ken, your dyad had its own kind of implicit kind of understanding or, or agreement. Is that correct? Yeah. There was a, a tiny little bit of explicit conversation, itty bitty. Mm-hmm. Before um, you got married. Uh, before we got married. Um, and then we never talked about it again. And, um, but it resulted in a long-term committed sexual, emotional relationship on, on your partner's part. Right. And that, so I my find... partner had a, a relationship with somebody other than me for multiple years. And like I said, in the beginning, it was like, Hey, this, what's going on here? Oh, okay. All right. So we're going to do that. And that was like the last we talked about it. And that's how his right. monogamy, like he and could, that was... he could definitely align mm-hmm. with either using the term monogamy or polyamory or open relating or don't ask, don't tell, like so many labels might fit. Yeah. Who could say? Oh, wow. So, I mean, we're, <clears throat> we're here already very early into this interview. If, you know, with your permission, Ken, may I ask why, why do you think the nature of that relationship established itself that way? Um, so for me, uh, I, th- throughout all of my romantic dating uh, life experience back to when I was a kid, I uh, didn't really totally get behind um, the idea of monogamy, I didn't think about it this way, but, um, I didn't understand the, and still don't the, the limitation, the, like, why, why should we only have a relationship with this one person? Why, why not more now? Um, growing up in a monogamous culture, the way I did, it felt like greediness kind of. So I just, I kind of leaned away from it. But then when, uh, my partner and I were starting to settle down, we were talking about marriage and, and, um, we had committed to each other, uh, and the opportunity came up for, for her to, uh, extend her sexual and emotional experience. And I was like, yeah, sure. I think that's the way the world should work. So go ahead. Um, and I didn't mostly because I was lazy and shy <laughs> and things like that. But, um, so I think maybe that answers your question, touches yeah. on it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So perhaps just different, I mean, just inherently who you 
Ah. That's how it feels to me. It feels like right. it's like part of my identity just comes right up out of me. I don't yeah. I don't think it through. So that's gotcha. really important. I in my in my qualitative studies, one of the questions I always ask people is do you if I'm talking to a a person who's already identified as non-monogamous in some way, I ask them to just tell me how they um, align with, if they're using the word polyamory, do you align with it as an orientation or as a philosophy or as a choice, a decision? Mm. And those different ways, if, almost everybody I've ever talked to has said, oh, they reflect for a moment and they 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 check in. And a lot of people will say, Oh, I think this is just me. I've always been this way. I, I didn't always have the words. I didn't always have the language, but I've always felt that this was just how I am. And I there believe. you go. That's the description of what I was trying to say. Yeah, right. totally. So, right. that's a, so it's more, that describes more orientation. Orientation, yeah. right. Exactly. Right. Whereas other people, they read, they hear about non-monogamies or they hear about the ideals of polyamory, say, and they, they're like, that makes sense. They, they hear about it the way you might hear about Buddhism or personal development work. And they're like, mm. okay, you know what? I, the tenets of that make sense. I'm yeah. going to align myself with it. So they align philosophically, even if it didn't feel like it brewed right from their center. And then other people are perfectly content in either a mono or non-mono situation. And you could call them ambiamorous. And those people make a decision. So many. So many words. Right. So, oh, <laughs> so, so many. many. We just did a 90-minute episode on our podcast on the taxonomy. Longest one we, we've ever done. We never had to go that long. Oh, my but gosh. It took that long just to try to dissect some of the words that people use to describe their relationships. But those three categories are really helpful for, for people who are, like, trying to describe to their partner or maybe their parents mm -hmm. or their friends. Like, if you align with this more like an orientation, you might even be okay not acting on it but it, but it might still be true and you might want to live right. that truth even if you did, even if you choose to maintain fidelity right right because that that's sense. about being known for who like who you are right okay that and, and that definitely i see the resonance in that explanation with ken what you explained where mm -hmm. you were just where you were just inherently who you are whereas like the philosophy could look like the Roman Catholic Church created marriage in 1100 and, you know, we've only been marrying for love for 150 years. And I've been watching Downton Abbey and I'm like, why is she marrying her cousin? Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> property and power, my friend. Because he's the heir. Because he's the yeah. heir, right? Yeah. Um, so, also so those piercing blue eyes. Also that. Also that. Oh, Dan, Dan Stevens, you <laughs> handsome. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Crawley. But that's been the beautiful thing about paternal, paternity and maternity leave has been like, finally, we're just going to, finally take on the, the behemoth that is Downton Abbey. There you go. And I love that. we are not regretting any of it. It's I love amazing. that for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, my high school rugby team would be like, ooh, and I'm like, nah, trust me. Yeah. Just watch uh, it. There's no turning back now. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, and then you got the choice part. So I remember when uh, a guy joined my men's group on the Gold Coast, uh, Danny Redbard. Shout out to Danny. I think he listens every now and then. And he, uh, yeah, he's deep in this world, very deep in this world. And I remember he presented, like, all of us in the group were like, so wait, so you just, you're in a relationship, but you get to have sex with a bunch of people? And the guys are looking around, they're like, hey, I can get down on that. You know, <laughs> like, we're just kind of joking with each other. 
that's my interpretation of, I guess, what choice looks like. What have you experienced in, you know, in your research and who you, whom you've interviewed and, and people yeah. who sit in that, in that kind of camp of choice? Well, so let's, let's start off with actually the flip side of that. There are plenty of people who are like, you know, I, I feel monogamous. I'm connected to this one person in a bunch of ways. Um, generally, that has to do with the sexuality, sensuality, and emotional and financial, uh, child rearing, all those sorts of ways. And I'm, I feel really comfortable in my monogamy, in my monogamous perspective. Um, and their partner comes out and says, well, I, I feel connected to a, a polyamorous being, uh, a polyamorousness. And then they make that work. So I, let's just make clear that that decision can be in either direction. If we were to imagine relationships as a neutral, right, then these would be sort of the poles of it. But what I notice is often people have a lot of conditioning as to what's possible. So often the decision is about, I have, I have stumbled upon this new possibility and now I want to explore and experiment and find out if this is even a thing that might match up for me. Because how do you actually identify your, your, your true self, your true orientation without conscious exploration? This is hard. I mean, with yeah. all that conditioning on top of you. So some people recognize that they all, well, okay, actually I'm going to say almost all people recognize that they have a choice about their behavior. They have a, you know, like we, we choose our behavior. Sure. Yeah, and I get down on that. yeah, and mm -hmm. yet, if we're presented the idea that polyamory is inherently wrong or all about sex, or all about um, hedonism, then it might feel like somehow it's bad, or or like yeah, it is the kind of like nudge nudge wink wink. It's just about getting laid, but in fact, it can be about incredible emotional depth and bandwidth and yeah. complex calendars and all of the all of that. So yeah, sure. I think that when I talk to people about the choice, it's about the choice to get up every morning. Every single morning, Ken and I get up and we say, I choose me. I choose you. Let's do this together. And we do that on purpose because every single day we're choosing each other, even as we choose other people as well. Right. So the so, choice so part is always present. Got you. So there's, there's kind of a nucleus in a sense, between the two of you of what you create. And there, and well, sometimes more. I, like, I've had really, really close relationships, and we have lived in a triad for a while, and it's not, a, it's not about giving every dyad, you know, every couplehood the same treatment. It's really about committing to the people you've committed to over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah, for, for me, that, that daily choice is about the choice which, for, in, in my experience, the alternative is to just assume everything's going to go the way it always has. And um, what, what I found, what we found, is that that can lead to taking each other for granted, for not communicating some things because, well, we've already talked about that, so it must be the same. But the daily choice also kind of fosters a daily curiosity. What's, you know, I choose you. Who are you today? What's up with you? versus, oh, it's the same person that I got up with next, yesterday. Right. No, it's not. A whole day's gone by. And so it reminds me, and this is really helpful for me because I will fall into those holes, that, that, that groove of just everything's just going the same way it always does. And I like the curiosity that that brings up for me. Wow. 
So this is, um, this is really neat for me because I'm, you know, Christine and I got married this year. Uh, we eloped and then we have the baby now in the relationship and we just did a relationship coaching uh, session the other night and I won't go into the details because I haven't got Christine's, you know, I haven't shared Christine's or gotten her permission to go into any detail really. But what was cool was to identify that the triad that's now created in our family unit with Bindi coming in, it's amazing how slippery the slope gets about her and my intimacy when you have this third party that gets in the way. And already we, you know, we're actually kind of getting out of a bit of a habit of dating each other, throw in a romantic partner on top of that. My mind starts to scramble because I dropped the ball anyway, (laughs) you know, in, in, you know, doing the small things often and, 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 you know, the romanticism, the intimacy and stuff. And, And I think, man, the emotional complexity of that, the structural complexity, it, it seems like on one side, I look at just like, man, what a gauntlet of emotional suffering <laughs> on be. one side. And then I look at the other side and I go, what endless potential to grow those emotional muscles as <laughs> you just, well. You just described being a parent. <laughs> <laughs> very well really <laughs> and you know th- there's something else you just named here you and i did an episode on jealousy right so mm-hmm. jealousy is a triangle well you just introduced yeah. one into your life right bindi yeah. becomes part of a triangle and it's really easy to start to experience the rupture of the bond by the inter- by the, the perceived interrupter even if that mm-hmm. interrupter is your child who you love so much yeah. And the thing is, Bindi can also experience this as she grows. She can experience either of you as interrupting her bond with the other. And there can be jealousy that rises up, right? Yes, yes. That, that's, that's one thing that we were taught in the session, or at least reminded, because we came into our relationship pretty clear on this, is that it's me, you, us, in that order. Yeah. Me, yep. you, us. So it's like, no, I got to make sure my sovereignty and kingdom is clean and do my work. And obviously that doesn't mean relinquishing responsibilities to you or others, but that, that kind of like, you know, not pouring from an empty cup kind of philosophy. And then it's you and then it's the baby. And that is so, uh, I bet there's many people out there that would argue against that because babies and children are a great scapegoat to not deal with our Mm. emotional stuff going on in our relationship. And 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 our our coach was, our coach was like, no, you are the foundation in which all this stands. You are the rock in all of this, your relationship and your child will try and get in between that. Oh yeah. We'll try and create separation. We'll try and play you against each other. And it's your job as, as parents, as, uh, custodians as guides yeah. to this child to go nice fucking try yeah <laughs> yes yeah and good luck. Ken and i each had children yeah. with other people and then combined our families and so together we have seven children that we've been raising together for 13 years wow, and we we have watched the dynamics of that play out and oh. the dynamics of the step parenting, which I don't really identify as a step parent because I'm just in here up to my elbows as, you know, they call me mom. So yeah, here I am. Sure. But um, the 
the le the layers of all these triangles on top of each other, I think has actually made me really agile it, at dealing with the romantic triangles that can come up. And so when, when you said like, oh, add in a romantic, I'm like, oh, that's way easy. For me, that is so yeah. much easier than dealing with the triangles around parenting because I will only partner with people who are emotionally available and emotionally mature. And mm -hmm. so we can be in conflict. We can experience yeah. rupture and repair. Sure. And if we can't, then they're not a good fit for me as a partner, which is, goes for you too. I mean, we have practiced rupture and repair so much because you couldn't do conflict when we first got together. Well, I was going to say your, your description of, um, you know, the, the emotional struggles and, uh, how hard that sounded. Yeah. I, that is a stretch for me constantly. This, while the idea, the, the, the sense of, uh, multiple relationships is, is part of my orientation. I'm not all that good at it. It takes mm. a lot of focus and growth and attention to, mm. uh, to everything. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but what you were saying about, um, having mature emotional relationships that include conflict and then repair. Yeah. We practice those things all the time. And practicing right. that with adults is just a good life skill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it truly is. Um, I teach crucial conversations at the local university and yeah, teaching them how to have those repairing conversations is so many people are like, this is the Rosetta stone for getting shit done. This is amazing. It really is. <laughs> it yeah. Is. And I'm like, yeah, conflict is a sign of progress more often than not. Um, so that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I want to zoom out for a second. Um, what are the most common misconceptions about non-monogamy, polyamory. We've mentioned a couple, like, is it just about screwing everyone? Is it about swinging? Is it about just having your cake and eat it too? What are it, it, the most common? It is that last one. It, it's the last, it is. it is. If you don't have enough okay. cake, make, bake more cake. Go, go make more cake. Um, go make more cake. Cause I really like to have a slice of cake when I know that there's cake there to have later. Like I, yeah. I'm not sure where that, why people think that that's a bad thing, but make more. I have a big family. I bake two cakes when I get bake a cake. Come on, it's fine. Um, I have a big appetite for relationship. So okay. for me, having more is a good thing. And I don't know how this affects the metaphor, but um, I've, I see this all over the place and in myself. Like who who takes the last piece of cake? Very often okay. nobody. So oh, we're running out of cake. I have, so a, I have a belief system that the person to eat the last slice of pizza or the last piece of cake is diplomatic. They are doing yeah. a service to everyone. They're, They're going to go, I'm going to be yes. the guy. Yep. I'll, I'll be that guy. Exactly. A hundred percent. Often they are weighing and measuring like a lot of yeah. what's going on in the room. Totally. I, I have, I agree I have sometimes been that person thinking exactly, you know what? I'm going to do everybody a service and just eat that. Because the thing is, then somebody might make another cake. And that's true. <laughs> hey, there you but go. But nobody's going to make one while there's still cake. That that's happens in our true. house all the time. <laughs> I okay so you asked what are some common misconceptions that is the the top one is that it's all about sex and that it's yeah. always about sex but here's the thing asexual people do non-monogamy aromantic people do non-monogamy so it is definitely not just about romance and sex and not um, just white people and it's not about just white people <laughs> and it's not just about now right so yeah. a book just came out about 50 years of polyamory in america and and it's I like great. We do need to collect the history of what's happened in this particular yeah. um, movement of non-monogamy. But non-monogamy has existed in so many cultures across so much time that yeah. we're missing the point. Like 
monogamy is actually the structure and the the like that's what was put on mm-hmm. and separating us up and not having us living in community and you're finding out living in community can be awesome right like yeah. When you raise children, it's awesome. So yeah. another one of the big misconceptions is that, um, okay, for in a cishet mononormative world, the guys want sex and the women want emotions. And so when they're out looking for relationships, that's how it's always going to be. And it's just not. Lots yeah. and lots of people with of lots and lots of different gender configurations want to do this in lots of different ways. So it's incredibly sure. individual. Another big thing that comes up in my work is people imagine that the um, that they'll have to do the dating app thing, like that they have to get out and that they'll have to kind of, um, that they'll be perceived as greedy, right? Mm-hmm. When really people generally find community, go find community. If you can find some right. community of people who see the world through this polytheistic lens, then right. it doesn't have to be about that. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, there are a th- lot of other think nasty misconceptions, but. Right. Do you think there's fears to get involved because they're like, what, what are the common fears that people or couples are facing as they en- look at entering into this world and exploring it? One of the big fears comes up. We run a group um, called the Year of Opening and we, we sort of shepherd people through all of the processes that I teach so that people can do this well. And let's just name it, like people get scared of losing their specialness, of not being the chosen one, right? Like monogamy makes you this promise that you will be the chosen one day after day after day. And the the thing that most of the people I work with are coming to terms with is that in fact, a lot of times they they weren't chosen. Like they they weren't chosen and they, they have this wound inside of them that they aren't chosen, that they aren't special. And they're trying to fill it up, patch that, that wound rather than doing their personal work. They, they've tried to patch that wound with mm-hmm. monogamy and say like, I'm chosen by this person. I'm and, safe. And I'm secure. Me, I'm safe. I'm stable. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. non-monogamy really, it, it foists upon you the opportunity to say, Oh, actually I'm safe and stable because I choose me yeah. and I'm here and I'm present to myself. And on top of that, I can show up and, and stop expecting to be the one and be really truly seen for who I am and loved because of my quirkiness and my idiosyncrasies and all of that. And so the fear that people face is what if, what if my partner changes? What if they leave me? What if I'm no longer the special one? What if life changes in a way I don't want? What if I lose control? What if I can't control the situation? And and there is, I mean, that fear is justified. When I left my very monogamous first marriage, the one thing my um, first husband said, he was just like, but you made a promise that it would always be the same. Now, I did not feel like I had made the promise that everything would always be the same. I saw us mm-hmm. as growing individuals. But the fear was about... Like, but things are changing and I don't have control. And he kept saying, I just need to get control of this again. I just need to get control of this again. Mm -hmm. And I have great compassion for him from my perspective out here 13 years later. I'm like aware of the impact that that sense of losing control had. Mm -hmm. Because in truth, 
we, he'd lost control. We had, we'd had four children together. He'd lost control over and over again. Um, we'd changed careers and we bought a house. And there are so many places where we lose control yeah. and that's scary. Mm-hmm. And this one, it felt like could just be stopped. We'll just, just stop this one. And, and in truth, it, it could, I could have identified as my polyamorous self and chosen to keep it a secret and not, and not acted on it. And, mm. um, that would have left him in a, in a, a state of feeling like he had control. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. It's there's So there's the fear of loss of control and the alternative is the, in, in my experience, the illusion of control that a monogamous relationship provides because monogamy, um, as it's often done, includes uh, a sort of implicit contract of this is how things are going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but but life is life, and babies show up, and other th- careers change, and all these things yeah. change. So the control is limited, happens. and cheating happens. And so your control is no, um, it's no more in a monogamous relationship than in a in a non monogamous relationship. There's just a lot of story around how much control you have. And that story is stripped away. That's what I'm projecting myself into this situation in my head. And I'm thinking, boom, story, 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 story. Like it's a bunch of tangled fishing line that seems almost impossible to untangle. Looking at all the different dynamics and all the different stories between dyads and triads. And right. So I I can see where a lot of that fear and that, um, you know, because, yeah, control is right. It's a defense mechanism to try and sustain the ego's way to sustain the status quo. Right. To keep to serve whatever purpose to have that security and safety, whereas you know this, whether it's a choice philosophy or orientation, is in a sense relinquishing control, letting go of that as a controlling as a um, dominant. Right, that the story function. is no longer mm-hmm. that the monogamous contract will hold up my commitment. Yeah. And you have to shift to a stance of, I'm going to uphold my commitment and I'm going to trust that I, I trust me to do that. I trust my partner to uphold their commitment as long as it is healthy for them. And I, I trust our processes to get back on the same track. And that's where my work really, like I got into this because I developed processes. We use them all the time. The processes bring us back into alignment because the control was a fiction. So we needed something to replace it. Okay. And even when they don't bring us back into active alignment, they bring us back into connection right. and communication. It, um, it starts the healing or the yeah. kind of reconnection process. It may not exactly. be cauterized and fixed. It's right. No. Because right. it might be a reinvention. I, I mean, we have, we have definitely had at least five. We've been together for 13 years. We've been married for nine and we have had many marriages within that already. We've had, you know, many mm-hmm. partnerships. So sometimes one of those losses of control actually births the new thing. Okay. Before we get um, any further, I want to uh, ask how open are the two of you to sharing uh, a situation which there was that kind of rupture and then what the reconnection process looked like? Yeah, I- I can share yep, an sure. easy one for me because it puts me right on the chopping block. So, and, and, you know, Brendan, before we go on, I want to say there's one other big fear that turns up that I think just should get checked in about. Sure. STIs. 
people oh, who yeah. have been in monogamous relationships have often just stopped having to think about pregnancy protection and STI protection yeah. for a long time. And all these huge, very important things you got to be careful with. Right. <laughs> And now we have more to like, we perceive that we have more to lose because we also have a family and children and like, and, and we're yeah. getting older. So we don't just, we're not maybe as reckless as we might have been in the past. Mm -hmm. And often we just do not have up to date, medically accurate information about how to have safer sex. Mm -hmm. And we don't feel empowered to ask for that because we're married or we're partnered or we're supposed, you know, like the outside picture is that everything's fine. So we don't know where to ask for that. So I just want to say that everybody deserves comprehensive sex education yes. and it's always good to update yourself. Like I have to go update my information along those lines at least once a year and I'm a professional sex educator. So it's mm -hmm. normal to need to keep asking questions and keep finding solutions to those because th those are very real fears and mm -hmm. oftentimes people will put those fears out there so that they don't have to deal with the emotional part because that feels so real and practical, right? Like mm -hmm. um, you're going to put our sexual health at risk or you're going to put your sexual health at risk and then that'll put my sexual health at risk or... And that right. isn't an untrue sentence, but it also misses the point that yes, and, and nothing in this world is 100% safe. And there sure. are many things that we do because they are enjoyable and wonderful, and we have to learn what we can do to mitigate risk. So just want uh, to Look, that. I've had to use a toilet at an ADM festival, and you know, oh, you, you run a risk. business. You run you just, a risk. You, know, it's... you just do. It's true. Especially the fifth day of the festival, it's yeah, it, it you, you know you, you, you playing Russian roulette you at really that are. point. Um, so it's good to know what you're working with. <laughs> so, Jolly, you were uh, yeah. So a rupture and repair story. <clears throat> well, I think that a good story for me to tell is one where I was lost in the throes of jealousy, like bad, really, really bad. Um, and I say that because I'm, I'm a jealousy researcher. This is what I do. So you would think that I would have had a handle on this or I would have seen the train bulleting toward me. Uh, but it's no Ken, human. Oh, <laughs> I am so human. Ken was dating someone. Um, he connected to this person and they, they connected really easily right away. And that doesn't happen as often for him. So I actually have less of the, I have less of that like stark, um, oh, my partner just like up and disappeared <laughs> because he tends to be patient and, and a little bit slower paced in his, in his dating adventures. A little bit. Oh, okay. A lot more <laughs> a than lot. I am. I'm a fire yeah. starter. So, um, and he was married when we were, we were all together and living in a triad. So I'd practiced him in that sort of comfortable, like, yes, he loves two people. I had plenty of experience watching him, um, love someone right up close and, and care for them and, and, and kiss them. Yes. But also rub their feet and go get them their favorite snack. So I knew how to do that. And I have, I've always really done that really well. Like I like that part. If you're enjoying the mankind podcast, how about taking another step? This one takes some courage and you have it. Check out the men's work introduction. It's three sessions over three weeks. New sessions start every month. And we even have a cohort tailored to GBTQ men. Find out more in the show notes. And I'd also had plenty of experience watching him have sex. Love that. That's great. No problems there. That's easeful for me. Um, you know, go to a group sex environment or even just an environment where I can be voyeuristic. No problems. Perfectly happy. Which gave me a false sense of security. <laughs> ah, you're like, I'm a black belt. I'm I good. got this. I'm good. <laughs> and, and I had felt 
plenty of jealousy around other partners, but I hadn't felt a ton around him. And then he started dating someone that he, he had a really nice, quick connection to. So it turned into, it was like date, date sex. It was just, you know, like right into it. Mm. Great. Now that's much more my pattern than his and typical. So I didn't see coming that I was going to completely melt down. And the, the meltdown included me watching exactly what I, you know, if I had looked at my own data, I would have seen the pattern. What did I try to do? I distanced myself from him. I, I, I made, I made imaginary space between he and I, yeah. and Projection then in that, huh? oh yeah. And then in that space, I, I backed up a dump truck of everything he'd ever done wrong. And ah. I unloaded it into that space. It was great. Yeah. I've never seen that. Questionable. I've never seen that. Oh. That's I've never seen that yeah. method. Super weird, right? I'm creative. And and now we had not only this this distance that could provide me Mm -hmm. the protection from feeling like I was being abandoned. A questionable um, strategy for an avoidant person to begin with. Yeah. So I, I, and so he's avoidant-esque. I am an anxious-esque. So I've dumped all this stuff into the middle of us and now I'm naming it. Okay. So that's great. Yeah, meanwhile, he's going out on another date because he's well within the boundaries of our agreements. And I'm telling him he's within the boundaries of our agreements. We've done all of our check-ins. We've done all the things. I'm going on a date the same damn night. I forgot he's about a, that, he's, actually. He's, That's right. But he's, a poop, he, he's, a poop, but he's a poopy face. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm like, and on top of all of that, um, I was... I was doing this thing that I do for myself where I imagine that I am worthless because somehow that makes that better. And so now the, the, this gap, it's just become this chasm between the two of us. And the nice part was um, I eventually noticed that what I was feeling was jealousy. And now jealousy, like it shows up in so many different ways in so many different kinds of relationships that it's actually even for me who is trained to spot jealousy like this this is my whole focus it is still challenging to catch it in the early stages and the earlier you catch it and notice the sensations of jealousy the better your chances are of dealing with it productively but i um i didn't notice it in time to stop the rupture so first there's all this space between us now i'm kind of a disaster and i'm down in my own pit of despair when i notice it was jealousy though was actually the turning point. I started the repair process by saying, I'm jealous. I'm I'm jealous. Called it, named it. Named it, right? Like, so once I'd named it, he was able to then step in and, and step toward me. So he's, he's, you know, stepping through the, all this trash I've put between us because now, you know, I'm still saying like, you did this wrong and you do that wrong. And I can't believe you do this which is all defensive. It has nothing to do with the situation. So he's stepping around this very lovingly and providing me the opportunity to name my jealousy and, and to finally get down to the bottom of all that garbage, which was, I'm afraid you'll choose someone else. Mm. And he was able to say something so incredibly powerful to me, which is, yeah, I might. And I choose you and I choose me. Mm. And I was like, right okay i just need to feel this for a while you may again choose other people and choose me and this isn't a zero-sum game 
He's not giving you a false sense of security going, baby, baby, baby. It's just, hey, it's you and me, me and me. We got the, you know, right. he's saying, right. look, Which I, he's tempted I can't. To do. <laughs> it yeah. is tempting. Being but... avoidant, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. But you were honest and saying, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but right now right. I choose you. And when we were talking about that earlier, I was thinking about the fact that like, yeah, I, choosing this person doesn't have, doesn't have to have any bearing on choosing anybody else. Like we don't have just one chooser. Right. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. But that said, as you noticed, as you experienced, the, the living in a very monogamous culture builds in this like precognitive sense that there is only one choice. Even when it's like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm all about the polyamory and I'm all about the multiple relationships and, um, uh, and you have to just choose me. <laughs> because it's built because it has been built in by our culture and it takes sure. some significant attention to notice it like you found and it's re- and and then when you're in one of those spots and this is what happened to me now i'm looking out into the world and i'm getting reinforcement everywhere right i can easily reinforce my viewpoint that i am at threat that every movie every story i turn on every song yeah. i hear tells me i am in threat and this sends me deeper into my child parts and yeah, so I'm in the throes of jealousy. When he named the truth, which was that he can't protect me from my own self-abandonment. He can't protect me from the fact that I might choose to go sit in my own in my own mm-hmm. dirty diaper, as it were. <laughs> like, it, he sure. can't save me from that. Right. And that gave me the opportunity to say, okay, I'm going to be sad. I'm going to be really sad. This particular jealousy came up for me first as anger, right? So jealousy is a mix of other feelings. It's not, it's a complex emotion. So it came up with anger. I threw all that anger at him. He stepped around it pretty deftly. He was like, yeah, hmm, I see she's angry. Okay. You, you manage that very, very well. And then um, to help the, the rupture from my side, I needed to let myself be sad. And sad isn't a safe feeling for me. So letting myself be sad was a big step. So that was, so he moved closer to me. I moved closer to him by saying, I'm going to honestly be as sad as I need to be about this right now. Mm-hmm. So it's the middle of the night and I'm crying and I'm sad and I'm asking for reassurance and I'm getting it. And that's great. And then I hit a, I hit a spot where I was like, Oh, wait, my jealousy isn't just anger and sadness. Jealousy is made up of all these other emotions my jealousy has always been for me also a source of arousal. What if I, what if I tap into that right now? So I did. So I was, exper- I was experimenting on myself. What happens if I let him tell me about his, his connection with this person? Oh, I thought you were going to go towards sad sex, which I'd never heard of. Oh no, I have had sex. <laughs> never heard of. Uh, yeah, no, that's never happened. Nobody angry Nobody's sex, never. not sad sex. <laughs> Oh no. Okay. No, but, um, no, so you, but sad you got ma- to, he started telling you and explaining and, and opening up his relationship. Yeah. Sad masturbation <laughs> though. Oh yeah. So oh, yeah. here's the thing Been there. on purpose, <laughs> on purpose, letting myself be sad while also experiencing the, the pleasure and letting myself be in this spot where I was in between and noticing that he wasn't going anywhere. I was this mess of emotions. And that for me was where the repair really happened. I was like, Oh, mm. he sees me. I am a mess and somehow I'm getting off on this and he likes me anyways. I mean, screw love. Like, I know he loves me. That was never the question. He likes me just like this. So it was okay. 
And that was the walkthrough. And I, I share that story because it's already been printed in Vogue. I, so um, <laughs> it was it, it like that experience of masturbating while he's telling me what he, not just, not just the sexual parts. Yes, the sexual parts, but also how he was connecting to this person was tapping into my, my true connection to him, which is, wow, we believe in this multiplicity. We live it. And I get to get off on my own existential pain here. I get to be, and Carolyn Elliott writes about this so beautifully. You can get off on your pain and that can be just fine. You know, Freud was wrong about this. It's not perversion to get off on your own pain. It's a pretty healthy way to transform it, to alchemize it. If you do it in a container where you're then working with it afterward. And that's what I did. So the next step for me was to get up the next morning and write about it and talk about it and turn it into, oh, oh, this is me. So the repair wasn't just between he and I, the repair was also within. Gotcha. I like that. I love that. It's kind of less Freud, more Frankel. Yes, exactly. Yeah. More more meaning. What's the meaning meaning. behind that? More about the meaning. Yeah. Very cool. Ken, I want to ask you, mate, what was your lens going through this? Because... In my mind, I, I could just imagine this as like Ken's like doo doo ba doo, just walking down the street, doing my thing. Jolie has a problem, All right, but I'm doing my thing. <laughs> That's my naivete speaking. He knows but me that. pretty well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how are you? How are you witness? And... Yeah, how are you witnessing this experience and experiencing this experience? Um, with. Um... Well, uh, to be perfectly honest, I come at it with um, with an uh, assumption of my own incompetence, which I don't generally do in my life. Generally, I walk into situations assuming I got this. I know how this works. Mm. But um, in situations like that, um, I'm like, okay, what's happening right now? What am I missing? What's happening that I don't understand? And I, I heard you describe your experience and I feel like like the, the person I wish I was would have watched your anger and everything and, and realized and, and then asked you, do you think you're feeling jealous? Like I, I wish I was the kind of person who Ooh, was aware enough to be able to offer that insight. <laughs> yeah, um, right. But I wasn't. It's <laughs> a dangerous way of being. So. Right. And I think it would, it would work now. I mean, this was a couple yeah. years ago and my work in jealousy continues to deepen. Sure. And we made an agreement during that time to bring it up. If right. We see well, it, and that—that's the thing. To be more pointed it, it about, like, not out of nowhere, what's, like, what's hey, maybe this is your problem. <laughs> but right. exactly, like, yeah, and yeah. being attuned to the signs of jealousy in our partners without blaming them, because a lot of people imagine that you have to get rid of jealousy if you're going to yeah. be polyamorous, and that's just a fallacy. You're fallacy, going to be right. jealous or, or your partners are some, but someone in your circle is going to be jealous and better to learn the skills to deal with it. And this is the processes that it. you talk about in the year of opening. Some of them are about what's your process when jealousy comes up. Right. What's your plan? You, you're going to want one because it's gonna. Yeah. It's, yeah it's and your plan needs mask. to fit on a sticky <laughs> note. Like it needs to be small. Yeah. Small. Little different yeah. plan. Wow. Very cool. Um, this has been phenomenal. You too. I've absolutely loved this time. I have a much deeper understanding and appreciation for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for this being, this way of being, right? It's the only way I can put it if we're talking choice philosophy orientation. It's being, in essence. Am I, am I wrong in my no, explanation I of that? I 
so appreciate that because yeah. as Ken described, this is, it bubbles right up out of the center of him. So when people always call it a lifestyle, like mm -hmm. I, that feels disingenuous for both of us. Like it, this is a part of us, whether we have one partner, zero partners or 10 partners yeah. for us. Yeah. It's a, it's a way of being. And yeah. it's a way I don't of know being that we have world. a word in English that, that encapsulates it. Paradigm is really clinical and I don't think it really covers it, but yeah, yeah way of being is pretty good. Yeah. And to, and to be open, I, my lifestyle was the second word. <laughs> that I, well, it's right I, there. If, it looks if I, like... If I didn't grab being, I was going to say lifestyle because that's yep. just... I mean, that's the only way my brain can frame it into a black and white context of understanding. Right. right. And some people mm -hmm. really do live it as a lifestyle or they'll live like in the swinging or polysexual yeah. lifestyle and they they opt into it and they can opt out of it. And mm -hmm. both at both times, they can feel fully seen and known and it doesn't... Right. So that's, again, about those folks who can live in the choice. But for those who are living either in the orientation or even in the deeply held philosophy, mm -hmm. um, I felt very honored when you just said beingness because I was mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah I, yeah, I feel seen. I feel yeah. understood as mm -hmm. this is core to my experience of being human. And I really mm -hmm. appreciate that. Mm. Well, uh, I mean, there's no way. I mean, can you demonstrated this in your answer to jolly of like i don't know like yeah i can't predict the future so this this question may just be a throwaway um but if you were if you were if you were a betting couple or betting individuals could you see this way of being being the way it's gonna be obviously there's nuance and dynamic for that for the rest of your lives but you know is there that potentiality of like you know what just you and i let's just keep this one way going forward or has there ever been that thing of like, so, you know what, maybe we'll just I've, end up monogamous. Couple things. Um, we, we did spend a year. We like, we, we said, we're just going to be monogamous for a while. We, we got dabbled. ourselves when, when we got, da when we got married, we dabbled in monogamy, we dabbled <laughs> in monogamy. It was very and, shocking. and when we got married, um, we got our wedding rings mm. and we also got, um, banded, yeah. Banded rings. Boys and Hodgson actually performed our ceremony. So Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we were really yeah. lucky. Yeah. Yeah. The oh, lovely boys. Wow. Yeah. And um, he does, we he have does our, it all. He does, does it all. Oh, my co-host really is a stud renaissance man. <laughs> <laughs> totally. He also wrote us a poem. I yep. mean, it, we got the whole thing. Got, I saw you did too. Right? He wrote us a, he wrote us a, I, I, I swear he stole that from somewhere. He wrote no, us a, he downloaded he wrote, it directly from the universe because he, he gave wrote us me a something. poem about being yes. a dad. It was, oh my yeah. God, we cried when we read that. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So, so he marries he, you. Yeah. And yeah. we, um, we got our wedding bands, but we also got what we call our duck bands. Duck bands. That's they right. Ha, they're yep. a different ring that we can wear on our thumbs. So if mm. we elect monogamy, we've, we use those, those bands. Okay as a second band to sort of, because our this this ring does not signify my monogamy. It signifies so, the wedding. A question I didn't squeeze in is how does the, you know, the construct of marriage fit into your dynamic, right? Interestingly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it, uh... I mean, the state rewards marriage. So let's put, let's be oh blunt. My, this the is state the rewards best marriage. year of taxes we're ever going to yeah. have. Getting yeah. married and right? having a kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we signed on the dotted lines, the that line. Like we had the ceremony and the marriage because we wanted to. But signing that document was about health insurance, um, yeah. tying our finances together in specific ways, and being able to show up for each other and show up for each other's kids. 
and that's crap. Legally. I, I yeah. really dislike that. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Um, sure. But we did. We signed on that line. But could, I mean, I see marriage as fitting in. I could absolutely marry another person spiritually, soulfully. Absolutely. Right. That yeah. that feels almost inevitable. <laughs> it does. And I, I'll say that... Um, I'm I, like, oh, I, I hope this isn't news to him. I think about that and it's uh, it's a fascinating feeling that I get when I think about it because it's, uh, it's exciting and scary. And I haven't totally delved into the scary except that I think it has something to do with you choosing you yeah. over me. Not you choosing someone else. Yeah. But, but the thing is, you do that anyway. So it's so much about breaking illusions anyway um that was probably nonsense you were asking about um monogamy and it's uh, our relationship is based not on monogamy or polyamory or monogamy and non-monogamy it's based on choice Mm -hmm. so could we choose monogamy sure because the the core of this is autonomy and choice and expressing our multiplicity. So and if monogamy works in a moment, in a in a time frame, then... And let's be clear. I mean, what are we talking about when we say monogamy? Because okay, when the, we flew home into the pandemic, I had just defended my dissertation. We flew home. We landed. Neither one of us had been dating anyone because I was up to my eyeballs in dissertation. Mm-hmm. And it was a pandemic. So we we're like, oh, I guess this is kind of easy for us. I guess you could technically say that we were monogamous during that time, except... I mean, I had a best friend who I was like interacting with all the time. And I had like, what does it mean then to be monogamous or polyamorous? It, yeah, that, that's a great point because there's certain things where um, one of the most, I think the healthiest things, realizations that Christine and I ever came to was that I am incapable of ever being everything for you. Right. And yeah. Christine has her confidants and her best friends and I am so thankful for them because some of the some things are like i'm not the dude or the person i I just that is not in my wheelhouse to to work with yeah and and i have friends for that i have my men's group i have outlets for that too that takes the pressure and the expectation of her to be able to remedy those things so yeah i mean so in a sense is that non-monogamous yeah. in a way like, right that's it so yeah. i call that creative monogamy where we get really really clear about where we're exclusive and right. where we're expansive so i would describe you don't have to expect accept that label at all but i would describe if you came through my if your relationship were described that way and i was trying to code it qualitatively i would say oh they've decided on sexual exclusivity and mm-hmm. i'm going to presume um, that you've defined what counts as sex and what doesn't. And and then, oh, and maybe I'd ask some questions about where your sensual boundaries are. Oh, maybe right. they've decided on sensual fidelity as well. Um, financial fidelity? Well, interesting, because it sounds like you are, your family structure has shifted quite a bit. And so there might be a little leeway in what your financial overlap is with other adults, right? I, or I might ask you if you have business partners. And then I'd ask you the, the kicker question, which is, do you have deep emotional friendships or support mm-hmm. systems? And that might be an area where you're really expansive, like really expansive from what I know and have heard of you and Christine, very expansive. And so that, I would say that's yeah. creative monogamy. Creative getting... monogamy. Interesting. Because that's, yeah, she has a best friend and I have a best friend whom we individually could live with. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. Like forever. Just, it's, it's just, make it's easy. It makes sense. And, you know, it's, it's 
yeah, it's kind of cool to be able to define that and explain Platonic that. life partners. Yeah. yeah. Platonic life partners where it's like my mate, I'm like, I would love this dude to be in my life forever. Yes. And, and the, it's, it, the structures yeah. of marriage don't cover that. It doesn't, it, no. it wouldn't necessarily make sense except, except it would, right? Like, mm. and so how do we describe this? I can't imagine Ken and I ever being monogamous in, in the boilerplate way because that way is you accept a definition without really describing it, without really getting clear about where your boundaries are, and you just ask for the cultural mirrors, the societal yeah. mirrors to tell you when you're out of bounds and then sort of kick you uh, back in. So you have all these refs everywhere kicking the ball back in. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, do this, do this. Refs. Yellow flag, right? There are, there are yeah. refs. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. I mean, they're yes. on Facebook. They're, <laughs> they're yeah, everywhere. Sure. Talk and about refs. I mean, slight tangent. I posted a video on my Instagram that uh, was titled uh, Unswaddling a Baby is Pure Bliss. And it's like, I posted it it last week. Oh, you saw it? And it's like 40,000 views now. And there's all these love hearts, so cute, blah, blah, blah. The most comments we're getting are from all these abuelas. Like every single one, this is criminal. This is torture. This is how dare you. And I, I go on their Instagram profiles. They're all Hispanic grandmothers. And I'm like, is there a cultural thing around like swaddling a baby is torture? Um, yep. and, so- and so I, I invite that input. I know that Bindi adores being swaddled. Yep. Um, so <laughs> there are these it's- referees that are like, you're doing it wrong. I'm mm-hmm. right. You're othered. Exactly. You're evil. <laughs> and there's the thing. Monog- unconscious monogamy isn't the same as conscious monogamy. Right. Right. So if you are unconsciously partnered and you just signed on the dotted line because you were like, well, this is what's next. We were going through the relationship and this was the obvious next step. And then basically the boundaries, you don't really have any clear, explicit agreements written down or or discussed. You don't have an iterative process by which you make your relationship boundaries known and then renegotiated. And you don't really have any clear support systems and communication methods that you employ on purpose at strategic intervals. And without those things, generally speaking, what you'll get is your mother-in-law thinks you're doing it wrong. So that, that means a thing. And then, Oh, her best friend does. And then, Oh, and then his friends all think it should be like this. And we get all those influences coming up to us from the outside and they hold the container for us. And some people feel well held by that kind of monogamous container. And that's yeah. fine. You get to do it that way if it works for you. It works for you. But it doesn't work for me. So I could absolutely have sex with no one but Ken for the rest of my life and be completely satisfied. However, I couldn't have only Ken as a friend for the rest of my life. Yeah. That would not work. Well that said. would not work. And well so, said. and I have no intentions of only having sex with you either. That like. No, I wouldn't think that so. Sounds, that sounds a little boring. I don't, I don't wish that for you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm not relying on external referees to tell me what's right and wrong. In fact, I have to push back against those referees and say, no, we have defined and we have our processes and we understand how we do this. And when we come up against a great big rift that, that opens up between us, we'll put those in place and we will renegotiate the relationship. And we call each other anchor partners rather than husband and wife most of the time because we are anchored to each other. Yeah. And and those anchors allow us to renegotiate over and over and over Re- again and make this whatever it needs to be, whether that's that sexual, romantic or not. Part, that renegotiate yeah. part, I think that's so healthy because 
um, I'm very fortunate. You know, Christine and I are in the early stages of, of our marriage. Our relationship, I mean, our relationship, we've been together since the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. So there's so much exploration. Um, and one thing I really appreciate from her, and, and I hope I do the same, is that I, have, I did not tie you to who you were the day we got married. Mm. and yes. your belief systems and, and what was working for us then. It's like we are expansive as individuals. As a, and then you add that, you know, it, it's amazing to think one and one equals three in a way yes. or it yep. equals infinite. When infinite. You, when you look at it that way, infinite and, yeah. and now different, you know, in the growth side of things. And I, what you were explaining before, Jolly, about like these conversations around getting clear of like what is explicit, what is implicit, what are the boundaries here, what is, you know, what is... A boundary for me now. Right. Now. Right. May not be later. Now. But yep. now. How right. can I, and you, and you mentioned a dynamic between the two of you is like, as you were doing your jealousy work around, around Ken's new relationship, it's like you came closer, he came closer, you did the repair, that reconnection. There is this endless potential of what our dynamic can look like in a relationship. And that. For me, I feel like I hit the jackpot with Christine because that is the case for us is that we have that ability to go there and go, this is what's alive for me right now. Right. And, um, you know, it, right now in this iteration of my life, sitting here today, December, whatever, 2022, it's her and I monogamy to the end. Yep. Right. And that's and all I see. That. That's all I feel. That's yeah. all I believe right now. Yeah. And I don't see anything really shaking that, but who am I? to say what the future is going to hold. And that's kind of cool. And that's kind of exciting. Um, I think that sounds safer too. Like knowing that you get, that you're, that you are open to like, to the fact that things change creates a kind of safety. It's a dynamic fluid safety, right? It's agile versus yeah. rigid stability, mm. which is brittle. Cause no, just knowing yeah. that something could change, but you could still renegotiate for what works for you is very different. Ken and I do, we renegotiate not just when rupture happens. We renegotiate on, on a we check in on a quarterly basis, and then we check in. We do a every year we do a full check in, reread our relationship agreement, and then every three years we have a re up of our marriage, yeah. where either one of us can without fault say, "So I'm I'm done being married. I'm I need right. to totally dissolve this and renegotiate." And so it's the combination of revisiting when things change because there's something that's happened. And revisiting on a, an iterative basis that provides incredibly dynamic stability. Right. That it, it reminds me of a quote of when there's a tsunami, do you want to be the oak tree or do you want to be the reed? Yeah. And you right. don't want to be the oak tree. Right. Because the oak tree right. gets taken out and washed away with a reed, bends, and then pops back up. Exactly. Exactly. So, very cool. Jolie, do you have, do you coach couples through that process of, of creating their relationship agreements? I do. I do. So relationship agreements is core to my work. And so I, I work with people both privately and in a group setting to yeah. really explore what it would be to be more expansive. Not everybody opens everything, but I take people through a process and the process takes a year. It is not fast. I can do, and I do do, VIP days where I like dive in and say, okay, we're going to get everything from all these domains into the explicitly communicated category. But that lacks one very important thing. Time is an ingredient. Stuff has to happen, mm -hmm. as you've seen over the last year or so, especially, right? Stuff last happens. Five weeks. 
Yeah. Five yeah. Weeks, yeah. And you're like, oh, as each of these things happen, I know more of myself and now I know what to negotiate for. So we go through all kinds of processes, including the grief process. What was needs to be honored and let go of in order to move into what's new. So we, we learn about um, doing our grief work, doing our shadow work, recollecting our shadows, negotiating the relationship agreements in a really, really thoughtful way, and putting in place the features of a relationship that can withstand multiplicity because multiplicity is what is. Like that, it, that's, that's just what is. We are all in this wildly multiple experience of being alive. So we need those processes. So that's, that is core to my work. I'm a jealousy researcher. And as a coach, what I do is help people while they're transitioning from monogamy to something more. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. I, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm excited. I'm grateful. This has been such a phenomenal conversation. Uh, Ken, I mean, I'm, I feel like you've got so much to contribute to yourself in this world of, of what you know the conversation we've been having and you may not have doctor in front of you you know but but right. i mean mate through your lived experience what would be you know how do you want to serve uh through your being and living going forward so um again now <laughs> we'll see what the future brings uh now i feel like what i have strongest to to bring to the world is my experience of being in a in a boy body raised socialized uh that way um and to to share how how liberating it's been to <laughs> and this is a little embarrassing to talk about but how liberating it has been to look out and realize that there are other people in the world <laughs> other than just me um and that we're all connected. Um, so I want to bring my experience to people like you and, and the men's groups and say, hey, you know, there's, um, there's a lot of work we can do to get deeper into ourselves and um, treat each other better. I just want more love in the world, I guess. Which he does that every week by showing up. He shows up and he records these conversations for our podcast, Playing With Fire, and he gets vulnerable about this stuff and, you know, more vulnerability shown from the masculine perspective that's, is so that, important. That's, I think, what, yeah, thank you. That's that's kind of the groups. core of it. It's the vulnerability. Yeah. Hey, look, we don't need to hold ourselves apart. We don't need to be opaque to each other. Um, yeah. Get out of the man box. Get out of that box. I was in that box. I put myself and held it nice and tight for... Mm -hmm almost 50 years and opened it up with some major trepidation and then found out, Oh, Oh, that's way better. <laughs> like my experience was, Oh, now I get to be me because in that box, I couldn't be me. I had to be something else. All those referees, well, they were all there in that box with me. Yeah. Open the box, get to just be and all those thoughts that I had of how um how bad I was as a person um just started to go away because oh no I'm just a person like everybody else so I'd like to right. share that with the people who are still boxing themselves up 
Beautiful, mate. We need more of that. We do. We need more box cutters. Oh. <laughs> Keeping their edge get, sharp. Get little logo, little box. Little cutter logo, logo, the box cutter. And <laughs> there might be something to that. Yeah, it's we'll pretty see. good. Um, how can we find out more? We know that there's the Playing with Fire podcast, which of course we'll have uh, we'll have linked in the show notes. What are some yeah. other ways that we can find out more about your work? Well, if people are curious about this topic, the best path in is to take the quiz that I designed right out of my research. Mm-hmm. It's 10 questions and it's, it's a, you can find it at joliquiz.com, J-O-L-I-Q-U-I-Z.com. It will help you understand where on a spectrum from, oh, hell no, we need a lot of foundations before we open anything, all the way over to, yeah, we're ready to go. Tell me what's next. It'll put you somewhere on that spectrum. And from there, you'll get an invitation to come to one of my salons. And at the salon, I talk about the five pillars of relating, open relating done successfully, opening things up without screwing everything up. And those pillars were hard won through my own experience of messing everything up badly and through many, 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 many dozens of stories collected. So I would really recommend people go take the quiz, even if you're not sure, because there is so much to be gained and learned about relating Mm. through understanding where we lie on these different spectrums and these different pathways through love. So that's the best way. Joliequiz.com. Joliequiz.com. Fantastic. Well, links to the Playing With Fire podcast and Joliequiz.com will be in the show notes. Uh, I want to thank the two of you for joining me today. This has been wonderful. I've enjoyed our triad. It's fantastic. <laughs> and I got to keep I got to keep my pajama pants on. Yeah, exactly. Consensual triangle. <laughs> con- consensual. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> uh, and I want to thank all of you that have joined us again this week for the Mankind Podcast, the show where we break the molds of modern manhood to prove there's more than one way to be a man. And I believe we've done that today. What do you two say? I think so. I think absolutely. So. Box cutters for everyone. <laughs> Box cutters for everyone. <laughs> Uh, fantastic well hey if you've enjoyed this interview be sure to check out the mankind podcast there's more like it check out my previous two interviews with jolie as well talking about sexual shadow that was a big one that's actually probably i think our fourth most downloaded and our conversation around jealousy and envy and which was brandon then i should i should mention i did a two-hour deep dive it'll be available by the time this this podcast launches, there's a two-hour deep dive into the Jungian shadow, specifically around sexual shadow. Goes even deeper mm. than the podcast did, and it's the it's it's a super accessible way to if you want to do your sexual wow. shadow work, you can go okay. right in. Well, here's my plug for that before I've even heard it. Um, so, in my experience in men's work, and you know, I've done a couple new warrior trainings. I've sat in a couple hundred circles. I if you were to, if I were to blame the big bad for anything in just in disruptive and unhealthy, dysfunctional male behavior, I would say it's around shadow, shadow of sex, a hundred and the sexuality. Yep, it, yep, that's sexual it. Sexual shadow. So I, uh, I made that because I know people need specific methods. Like, how oh do I do? God. Like, what does it mean to do shadow work? So it's just got. I give you all the background on shadow, exactly like oh. layman's terms. And then seven methods for digging into your sexual shadow. Just it's, lay it out. Uh, that's really cool. I'm going to have to check that out. Awesome. I definitely, I wonder, like Mussolini, what, what happened to him? What like, happened? Hitler, what happened to him? Yeah, this didn't like, come from nowhere. Know, These babies were not born like this. Uh, Salvador Ande. Like, what, I mean, did something sexually messed up happen in their world to shake them that 
that caused them they? to become the, the dictators that they became and you or know. did they have no outlet no appropriate no outlet, outlet right like yeah. i i take a deep look at um marquis de sade's work yeah. and you know you look at that and think well there's a fictive outlet did yeah. that save de sade from acting out his right. actual like that's fiction there like oh oh uh, there's so much to do there so last much one i'll throw in j edgar hoover yes that God. hypocrite right yeah. yeah yep i mean sexual shadow work man sexual shadow work man i tell you well hey okay for the next one <laughs> uh putting this out into the universe jolly i would love you to come on at some point in the near future to talk about i don't know where this term came from higher sex education um because you mentioned something yes. in this interview that got me really like i mean Right now, you got Florida's up in arms with how sex ed is being taught, and then you have oh, all yeah. these different examples of like you know stuff that I, I would say perhaps because it's new, maybe some of the uh, those teaching such methods aren't necessarily doing a great job of communicating to those yes. that may not be ready or prepared or aware or understand these methods of sex education, which is causing people to say, "Why are there butt plugs in my high school?" Right. Oh my goodness gracious. Yeah, we need so, a national conversation about that. Let's have a national conversation about that because yeah, I, I selfishly I want to have that conversation because Christine and I want to be quite candid in how we yes. raise our daughter and and you know and to to not have these things as a oh my god, aha, head explosion like that's what sex is. You yes, know, and let's get you hooked up with the best voices on shame-free sex ed because that starts right now. Right at the shame, age Bindi is right now. Shame free. Shame free sex ed. And there are some there are some wonderful um there are two amazing black women educators out there doing just fantastic work in this area. I will get you hooked up with their names, um, and I will hook you up with them because this conversation needs to happen. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Please send me an email with their details. I would love to have them on the show. For love not it. we could have a panel. We could have a yes. panel and just make it like a two hour conversation. Anyway, I, I usually this is at the tail end of an interview, but I want I want the listeners to know just what's possible when people get together and start to kind of hit those taboo topics, the thing, the conversations that aren't necessarily held around the the, the dinner table. So uh, let's, I want to respect your time. Let's call it. But hey, thank you again so much for joining us. Thanks, Brandon. Okay, lots of love, and for those listening, we will see you next week. This has been another episode of the Mankind Podcast, produced in association with the Mankind Project USA. We have been your hosts, Paul Newell, Boyson Hodgson, and myself, Brandon Clift, and we want to thank our guests for joining us today and imparting their wisdom from their experiences in this amazing journey called life. If you want to find out more about today's guests and support them in their mission, you can find links to them in the show notes. Now, if you have found gold, and insights that you believe could benefit your loved ones and those you care about, be sure to share it with them. And of course, we are always grateful for a rating and review of the show on iTunes. Now, we've got to give special thanks to our back-end team, producer, editor, and audio ninja for the show, Michael J. Russer, and Don Huff, who takes care of our graphics and promotions and pretty much makes us look pretty. So, of course, thank you, Don. Now, above all else, we've got to thank you, the listener. Because through your attention and your support, you have made it possible for us to let men all over the world know that they are not alone and that there is more than one way to be a man. 
And if something in this episode has touched you, then perhaps it is the call to action to get involved in men's work. With live trainings happening constantly and in-person trainings happening all over the world, the Mankind Project definitely has something for you. Now, if you've enjoyed the music in this episode and all of our episodes, be sure to check out Jim Donovan and the Sun King Warriors. I have links to them in the show notes. And lastly, just know what it means to me to be a man is completely different than what it means for you, what it means for Paul, what it means for Boyce, and that is the beauty of this journey. So if you are looking for guidance, support, and community as you begin to unpack and dive deeper into your men's work journey, then you know where to find us. Same place, same time, next week. Lots of love. We'll see you then.